0: hello everyone and welcome back to true time it is officially halloween week so we are going to be talking about one of the scariest murders ever committed today we are talking about the wood chipper murder
1: Hello everyone
0: Happy Halloween
1: It is the week of Halloween
0: It's spooky time (laughs) (laughs) So we've been We've done a few things to get into the Halloween spirit
1: Yes Carved some really good
0: pumpkins Check Stayed at a haunted Airbnb
1: Airbnb haunted check
0: And decorated
1: Decorated you Did that, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we are in the Halloween mood.
0: Yes, we're super excited, and we really enjoyed doing all of our Halloween theme episodes. And yes, they've
1: been very scary,
0: yes. And this one is considered to be one of the scariest. Ooh. it didn't actually happen on Halloween, but
1: it's more of a vibe thing, yeah. Like a it's, scary vibe,
0: it's pretty spooky. Very violent, so Uh,
1: Yeah. kind of sets forward to that part.
0: Yeah. But you know, gets you in the spirit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, did you want to start with any remarks?
0: Yeah, so all of our social medias are up and running. We are finally on TikTok. We got a first video up.
1: Yes, and the first video did better than expected.
0: Yeah. We were pretty surprised Mm -hmm. at how far We can get in contact with everyone, how we can...
1: How many views.
0: Yeah, how we can spread out. So it's really cool to see everybody downloading and interacting with our posts. So please, please, please keep interacting, leave comments, follows, reviews, Mm -hmm. all of that. really helps us out, and we really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Facebook is True Time.
0: At Uh, True Time Podcast.
1: At True Time Podcast for everything. TikTok, Instagram. Facebook, at yep. your time podcast.
0: Yeah. So obviously after uh, the case, this case, we'll have pictures on all of those social media sites if you want to go kind of see some visual content as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For those who are interested, it's definitely the easiest way to find out or see what happened in the case and everything. So you get a little more correlation.
0: Yep. It's all directly available to you. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm ready to get into it if you are.
1: I am, I guess.
0: All right, so the story began on a dark and stormy... (laughs) I'm just kidding a little bit. So this case begins on November 18th, 1986 in Newtown, Connecticut. Hella Crafts was a Danish stewardess who worked for Pan Am. She had just finished a flight from Frankfurt, Germany, and landed in New York. Oh, wow. So we've been to that airport quite a few times here in Frankfurt. Yes,
1: yes, we have.
0: So kind of a little connection there.
1: You said she worked for Pan Am, like the vehicle?
0: No, the airline.
1: Oh, Pan Am.
0: Pan Am.
1: Oh, never heard of them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were a popular airline, I believe, in like the 80s.
1: Oh, so they're dead.
0: I mean, I don't know.
1: Oh, I just (laughs) haven't heard of them. Okay.
0: I've heard of it, but I don't know if it's still around or not, or if it's been renamed, maybe.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: So she drove from New York back home to Connecticut with two other stewardesses that she worked with, and they finally arrived at Hella's home, where she said, quote, Richard's home, end quote, as she sighed, according to Morbidology.com. It was also the same night that a huge winter storm hit the area of Newtown, And the town lost power, and it took a few days to clear the roads. A lot of snow. Mm -hmm. So that was also the last night that helicrafts would ever be seen.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. So that gives you some hints right away. Yeah. She's stuck in her house.
0: There's a storm. Yeah. So that night, now that we have it set, the scene is set, we're going to kind of get a little bit more of a backstory on Hella and Richard. Okay. So nice. Hella was born in Denmark on July 7th, 1947, where she was an only child. She was very outgoing and made friends very easily. She loved attending school and actually learned to speak French and English while also eventually learning German, Norwegian, and Swedish.
1: So she is really good at learning English. Yeah, super well-rounded. Nice we tried to learn German. Yeah. It doesn't go too well.
0: That isn't one of the hardest things ever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's a big feat in itself.
0: We have our select phrases, but I couldn't imagine knowing that many languages fluently. Yeah,
1: that's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. She went to college in England and she worked as an au pair in France. Hmm. Do you know what an au pair is?
1: I do not. I was about to ask.
0: (laughs) It's like a live-in nanny, basically. Okay. I think they help with tutoring and house chores as well.
1: So for those rich people who don't have time for their children. Oh,
0: <laughs> well, I guess if you want to put it that way.
1: No, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Sort of like that Disney show, Jess.
0: Jesse. Jesse. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay. So she began working as a stewardess at Capitol Airways due to her love of travel and meeting new people. And she always chased adventure and when she heard Pan Am was hiring, she applied, and according to Murderpedia.com, she was one of the eight chosen candidates out of 200 to begin training. Mm. It was in May of 1969 when Hella met Richard Crafts, a pilot for Eastern Airlines. Richard Crafts was born in New York City and grew up in Darien, Connecticut, He wasn't very successful in school and dropped out of college to join the Marines, where he became a certified pilot. Their relationship was pretty rocky from the start, since he was actually engaged at the time they met. Oh, no. Yeah. They fought frequently in public, and the relationship was very on and off again, since he continued seeing other women the whole time. Okay. Yeah. God. Yeah, kind of rough. She knew about it, but... I guess just one of those relationships.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't really know what that means. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Hella became pregnant in 1975 and because of the times they felt obligated to get married. According to Morbidology.com, when Richard was asked why they got married, he said, quote, "Hella was pregnant at the time we were married. We knew she was pregnant. It was too far advanced for a doctor to perform an abortion and we decided to get married. End quote. Hmm. So throughout their marriage, Hella would also go on to have two more children, so three in total. With him? With him. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. The Crafts were a pretty wealthy family, with their combined income being around $125,000. And according to Murderpedia.com, that put them in the top 5% of Americans during the late 70s and 80s. Wow. Richard would frequently spend the money on one of his biggest hobbies, which was collecting guns. He spent hours cleaning and improving his weapon collection, and if there was any local gun show, he would be there. Throughout their whole marriage, Richard cheated on Hella regularly, and he physically and mentally abused her. God. Yeah. She would have bruises and would tell her friends that she didn't believe she could ever forgive him for the way he treated her.
1: Yeah, and I feel like back then they wouldn't i mean i haven't i don't know but it seems like people wouldn't really say anything or do anything about that if your husband were to yeah i agree
0: those times it was definitely much more common to just stay in the marriage Mm -hmm. so after her friends kind of knowing about all of this going on um and just kind of like their lifestyle she had to put up with so much obviously he would even just pack up and disappear for multiple days at a time and hella would never know if he was working going to gun shows or cheating on her (laughs) while she still had three children
1: yeah so she's just doing everything pretty much a single mom Mm -hmm.
0: Mm. he also decided to become a police officer and he was officially hired in 1986, despite all of his other responsibilities that he had.
1: Great. Someone who is uh, abusive to their wife and wants to go take care of uh, their local area.
0: Yeah, he was, he was like an auxiliary cop at first and then got hired on. And he like even bought his own cop car and like souped it up himself. Like, he w- like It was so weird.
1: So it sounds like he's just bored yeah. and looking... And
0: weird, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's it was strange to read mm. about, but Hella had finally had enough of his infidelity and harmful behaviors, so she hired a private investigator to pr- to fully prove he had been cheating on her and file for divorce. Okay. So around that time, she told her friends and her PI quote that if anything happened to her, we should not believe that it was an accident. End quote. Hmm. And that's pretty heavy.
1: Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah.
0: According to Morbidology.com, even though Hella had evidence of Richard cheating, she filed for a no fault divorce instead of charging him with adultery. And this was most likely to protect her children and maintain a good image, even though she was very open with her friends about what Richard was really like. Mm-hmm. The papers were dated November 11th, but they were never served. So, back to our timeline, it's now the morning of November 19th, so the next day. When Richard Crafts abruptly woke up their au pair named Dawn Marie Thomas at 6 a.m., and she told investigators that he claimed that due to the power outage from the winter storm the night before, he was going to drive her and their children to his sister's house. He said that Hella would meet them there later, and... Dawn Marie Thomas recalled thinking this was a little strange since driving conditions were still really dangerous, but she just went along.
1: Mm Yeah, you don't really have an opinion, I guess, as the nanny.
0: Yeah, she's like weird, but okay. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. Richard Crafts came back over by around 7 p.m. that day to pick them up. However, Hella never arrived at the home like Richard said she would. Once they returned to the craft's home, Don asked where Hella was, and Richard simply replied, quote, "I don't know," end quote." Mm. Over the next few days, Hella's disappearance began to be very widely known. Her coworkers became alarmed when she suddenly stopped showing up for flights, and Hella's friends and the coworkers began reaching out to Richard for answers about her whereabouts, but his stories were all over the place. He told some of her friends that she was visiting her sick mother in Denmark. However, her mother soon reached out to say that none of those arrangements were true. He then tried to claim that she was even in the Canary Islands visiting other friends. Hmm. As I'm sure you've learned right now after you've listened to some of these cases, no one's story ever seems to be very solid and they change frequently. Yeah. So, however, even with all of Hella's friends suspicions rising and informing the police, Hella's PI named Keith Mayo was already working with the police, telling them to not let up on Richard, and he was pushing constantly for them to look into her disappearance. That's good. So she's already had someone super powerful in her corner right away. Yeah. Especially since she made it known that she was scared for her life once He found out about the divorce, which it is believed he learned of. He learned the news that night of November 18th that she wanted a divorce. Mm -hmm. So now that it's kind of, oh, he found that out that night and now she's missing. Suspicious. Raises even more suspicions. Mm -hmm. Suspicions. It was finally on December 1st, two weeks after she had been gone, that she was finally reported missing. Two weeks? Yeah. So many times in these cases, the cops make people wait because they just kind of claim, oh, she ran away, she wanted a divorce, he wasn't like a good 24,
1: husband. I 48 hours or something for, to file missing persons. I d-
0: yeah, I mean, I guess you can, but I feel like they're from a small town and maybe they just felt like it wasn't solid enough because he had developed stories until they were disproven.
1: Yeah, but that, I mean, even the PI...
0: Yeah, well, that's what I think finally got the push. Because the cops weren't on it. They were not... And he's a police officer. Oh, yeah. Or... A unique one. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe he has
1: buddies within there.
0: Yeah, it could have been something like that. I didn't read anything like that, but... Okay. I don't know. Okay. So, obviously, Mayo, the... P.I. was confident that Richard Crafts was responsible for Hella's disappearance, so he became fixated on finding evidence. Shortly after he heard that Don, the au pair, had told investigators that Richard began cutting out pieces of carpet from their upstairs bedroom, and she noticed a large dark stain. And when she asked what it was, he replied, kerosene. However, kerosene dries clear. Mm-hmm. So Mayo led a search for the carpet pieces with a local trash crew and searched through a landfill. And it took them quite a while, but they actually did find the carpet pieces and had them sent to the state's police's laboratory where a leading forensic scientist named Dr. Henry C. Lee could examine them. But unfortunately, it came back negative for any blood samples.
1: They were dedicated to find that piece. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But unfortunately, it kind of was a roadblock since no hard evidence yet. Mm -hmm. Around this time was when the media also got a hold of a, you know, missing housewife story. And the first headline published about this case read, quote, police seek missing Newtown woman, end quote. Between the pressure from Hilla's friends, the PI, Keith Mayo, and now the media, the case was taken from the Newtown Police Department and given to the state police. It was getting very big at this point. Mm. So detectives began finally taking a deeper look into Richard Kraft's activity and looked at his phone and credit card bills. According to Murderpedia.com, they found some strange purchases and that on November 13th, he purchased a $375 large-capacity Westinghouse freezer, and he also rented a piece of machinery for $900.
1: What the hell? What is the machinery?
0: So the next question was, what is that piece of machinery? (laughs) So come to find out, it was a 2,700-pound wood chipper and a U-Haul truck.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Around this time, Joseph Hine or Heinz, I read his last name spelled both ways, so I'm not super sure. Mm -hmm. He was a highway worker that was tasked with snow plowing after the storm, and he told police at around 3 a.m. on November 20th, he saw the U-Haul and wood chipper parked on the side of the road near Lake Zor. He saw Richard, and Richard, like, waved and passed, and... He just went around and continued to plow the snow. And then once he finished at around 5 a.m., he was coming back down that same road and noted that the man and the wood chipper were gone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So police immediately went to the scene. Joseph Hein or Heinz took them to the exact location yeah. and they began investigating. And what they found was something that belongs in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So the detectives noticed a lot of wood chips near the lake and began sifting through them. The first notable object was what looked like pieces of paper. One reading, quote, Miss Hella L. Crafts, 5 Newfield Lane, Newtown, Connecticut, end quote.
1: So are those like the divorce papers maybe?
0: Just mail Oh, addressed to her Hmm. in shreds. Mm Mm-hmm. So, according to forensic scientist Dr. Lee, throughout the entire search, he said detectives found, quote, 2,660 strands of blonde hair, 69 slivers of human bone, 5 droplets of human blood, 2 teeth, a truncated piece of human skull, 3 ounces of human tissue, a portion of human finger one fingernail, and one portion of toenail, end quote.
1: Gosh, they were, like, counting everything. Yes. That's insane. You really, like, some of the stories that we've heard, you're like, these police officers just don't do their job. Yeah. But
0: but when people are dedicated and they find this.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Um,
0: I mean, they're looking for a body and all they're finding is pieces.
1: Yeah. And so pretty much he went out there and, like, wood chipped her. We're getting there. Okay,
0: <laughs> but <laughs> so after testing, all of the evidence came back as belonging to Hella. They used her dental records to identify the teeth, and the blood matched her blood type, which was type O. In order to confirm that a wood chipper could even be used to dispose of a human body criminallyintrigued.com stated that Dr. Lee led a test that actually put a pig carcass through a wood chipper and its ma- remains were extremely similar to those of Hella's. Oh, God. So, therefore, this meant that a wood chipper was officially one of the murder weapons.
1: Hmm. That's terrible.
0: Yeah. That's, abs- that's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Like your body going through a wood chipper.
1: Yeah. I mean, the... I saw that in, like, a Jason movie or something. Like, someone's arm got caught in there. Ugh, yeah. yeah, And it grossed me out.
0: I, it it, it just, sounds terrible. It's gross. It's scary. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't... I couldn't even imagine being able to do that to someone. Like, what goes through someone's mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a good attempt, though. Like, wood chipper is a good idea, I guess.
0: Oh, my gosh! <laughs> well, I'm saying,
1: like, he was thinking this through, like...
0: Well yeah i mean there. are sort of are, yeah mean, you
1: did it on the side of a road i'll
0: explain in a little bit like some of the reasonings you know like you said why this could have worked potentially but the evidence was there so far yeah and divers also went in to the housatanic river where the woodchipper remains had been found. Um, which was a whole process as well, since it was freezing and dangerous. So according to murderpedia.com, the police got permission to lower the water level by restricting the power flow at a dam further up the river. And they ended up finding a chainsaw in there that had hairs and tissue entwined in it.
1: A chainsaw? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I read a quote. I don't know exactly who said it, I saw some like confusing things, but it was either I think it was his brother, Richard Kraft's brother, or a brother-in-law to Richard Kraft's. And he said some like a quote along the lines of, Let them dive, there's no body, it's gone. Mm -hmm. So how would someone know that a body was gone? Yeah. So just a lot of suspicious evidence around this chainsaw now and this wood chipper. And on December 25th, police finally acquired a search warrant for the crafts home. And when they went inside, the home was a huge mess. They said furniture was everywhere, dirty dishes, mattresses were strewn about the house. Like it was a disaster inside. So just.
1: It seems random. Weird.
0: Yeah, he has kids. I I don't even understand how it got to that point. But according to murderpedia.com, Dr. Lee performed luminal tests throughout the house and found positive results for blood and some of the towels taken from the home also tested positive for blood.
1: Is luminal like the light thing? Like the black light? I'm not
0: exactly sure. That would make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I I think that's what it is, but I'm not 100% sure. But they did find that all of the blood tests, they were all type O blood, which as we know matched her. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in conclusion to all of these findings, Hella Crafts was pronounced dead. And police essentially concluded that Hella was most likely beaten to death by Richard in their bedroom, where he then took her body and stored it in the large freezer he had recently purchased. Mine. Yeah. And then. Later that day on November 19th when when he got his family out of the home it was believed that he dismembered her body into pieces with the chainsaw and on November 20th in the middle of the night that next day he took the wood chipper and Hilla's remains and finally fully disposed of her by aiming the wood chipper into the river and putting her body pieces into it. However, what he didn't realize was that not all of the pieces made it into the water. He believed it was the perfect, no body, no crime case.
1: (laughs) But there's blood all over your house. Yeah. And your wife just goes missing. Mm -hmm. And the last person she was with was you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the disposal part, like I said, was a good idea, I guess. But...
0: (laughs) Not enough.
1: So many, yeah.
0: Not enough. So on January 11th, 1987, an arrest warrant was issued for Richard Crafts, obviously. Yeah. So when the police got to his home and ordered him to surrender, he replied, quote, I'm tired. I'll take care of it in the morning. End quote. <laughs> like you have the choice. Yeah. Sorry to bother you. We think you murdered your wife. Yeah. but after a little bit he finally came out and he was taken into custody and his bond was set at seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars oh damn so we come to the trial so by the time of this trial the case had gained a large following and publicity Mm -hmm. i mean come on a wood chipper murder the Daily News in New York City published a headline that read, Chopped to Pieces, exclamation point.
1: Oh my god.
0: So people I think I read were even making jokes about it. I don't know. It was just it just turned into this kind of hard to believe, like that it was so absurd, so scary, so weird. Yeah. And it just links
1: people go to to murder someone.
0: Yeah, and so a lot of people found out about it. So because of this, the trial had to be moved from Newtown to New London, Connecticut, where hopefully there would be less of a bias in the jury. Yeah. So the trial started in May of 1988, and it was going to be difficult. Having no body going in was extremely challenging. But they had... Like her pieces. But up until this point, not having a body, there had never been a murder conviction in the state of Connecticut without a body. So this is a whole new field.
1: That makes no sense.
0: I agree, but it was not... Ne- in court, just because you have all the evidence, you never know what's going to happen. It's very normal for such plain as day evidence to be presented and someone walks free or vice versa. Barely any evidence, things that shouldn't fly and then people get wrongfully convicted. Yeah. So you never know going into court with this evidence and there never being a nobody found. Yeah,
1: this makes no sense to me
0: though. I know nowadays but but, this was the first time this had ever happened and you know you're going into a trial with no research to go off of no previous cases to be like oh well how did they do this so i think that's where this
1: sort of like the beginning
0: yeah mm -hmm, this was what started it okay so dr lee the forensic scientist took to the stand to discuss his forensic findings And he said that the bone fragments found were, quote, cut with a heavy type cutting edge that produced a crushing and cutting force, end quote. So basically proving he'd used a wood chipper. Mm -hmm. Another huge piece of evidence found was that um, the Still brand chainsaw, and it actually had the serial number scratched off of it, but a forensic lab was actually able to recover what that serial number was, and that number was on a receipt that belonged to Richard Crafts. But this next part is actually super interesting to me. Richard had purchased that chainsaw a few years prior, but the receipt was actually found when Hella gave her PI a box of personal papers and receipts, and it was the PI who turned those over to the police, according to Murderpedia.com.
1: Damn. So, was she expecting?
0: I. She wasn't, or she wasn't. Accident. So, she wasn't expecting him to murder her with the chainsaw per se. But as we talked about, he had absurd spending. He was known to buy tools and kept them in his yard. And everybody said his yard like looked like an eyesore because he had all these random machines and random things that just is this guy. He just spent money on weird things so trying to you know get a case together for divorce she gave her pi this box of here random receipts stuff Mm. use it and it actually helped prove a piece of evidence which i think is pretty cool
1: that is cool that's really cool yeah this pi seems to be helping a lot
0: yeah this man if you ever need a pi hopefully he's still in business But um, one of the third most important pieces of evidence was presented by Dr. Lowell Levine, a forensic odontologist.
1: Odontologist?
0: Odontologist. Okay. Dentist. Oh, okay. Looking at teeth forensically. So, And his career was extremely impressive. He's actually a really interesting man. He helped identify the remains of the Nazi doctor Joseph Mengele. Oh, wow. And confirmed to the U.S. Congress that the remains buried in the Washington, D.C. memorial were actually John F. Kennedy.
1: Wow. So this guy's pretty reputable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually cool.
0: I know. And he stated to the courtroom that the tooth found belonged to Hella when she was alive. And it was a huge impact for the case Hmm. for him to say, like, yeah, that was her. I looked at her teeth. They got
1: a lot of resources for this case. Yes. I mean, I I guess since everyone was interested in
0: mm it. yeah. Damn. So, you have all this very obvious evidence, but, you know, despite it all and all of the witness testimonies, a mistrial was called on June 23rd due to one of the juror members refusing to give a verdict, which left a hung jury, and a second trial was scheduled for about a year later. What the hell? Yeah. Every single jury member was convinced, but this guy, they all said terrible things about him that he couldn't understand information. It was like working with a child. He made it hell. I
1: I know people like that. Like, like,
0: why? Mm.
1: Yeah. That hurts you.
0: Left a hung jury and mistrial. But luckily, a second one was scheduled. So, obviously... That was frustrating to us. That was frustrating for Hella's family and all of the members working so hard on this case. Yeah. And um, so for the second trial, it was moved again, because clearly we aren't picking the best jurors out there. So it was moved to Norwalk, Connecticut. And the second trial was pretty much identical to the first. And this time it only took eight hours for the jury to reach a unanimous decision. Yeah, as it should. On November 21st, 1989, almost three years after the murder, Richard Crafts was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 50 years in prison.
1: Only 50? Not like a life sentence? Nope. Well, how old was he?
0: He was 50, I believe.
1: Oh, so it is pretty much a life sentence. Yeah.
0: So this case officially became the first murder conviction in the state of Connecticut in which a body was never found and basically the way this story ends though for now is he was actually released from prison in January of 2020 and he was 82 years old and he is currently at a halfway house in Connecticut no yeah he didn't have to serve the whole time so he's out right now I read that So at the time of this conviction, there was something called a statutory rights law, where if you have really, really, really good behavior, emphasis on the really, I said that a lot, but good behavior, do good deeds while you're in prison, you can get out. And because that that law has been taken away or something like that, I read, but because it was active at the time he was convicted, it still has to be honored. Oh my God. So, I'm not really sure what he's up to right now at his halfway house, but.
1: I mean, at 82, hopefully not plotting to murder someone.
0: Hopefully not. But I couldn't imagine doing something like this and never doing it again. Like, thinking about doing it again. Yeah. I don't know. So, just also.
1: What does he even do with his life at 82? I don't know. (laughs) Work at
0: Walmart? A greeter? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's strange, but that's how it ended.
1: Damn, that's, yeah, that's terrible.
0: Yeah, so obviously this being one of the scariest murders ever committed, um, it inspired one of the scenes in the movie Fargo. We talked about Fargo a little bit earlier before I gave you the whole info on this yeah, story.
1: You said that related to the ending of it. Yeah. But I've never seen the movie. Yeah, so.
0: me either. So basically um, the ending of the movie is the guys putting the body pieces of someone into a
1: wood chipper. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, and another kind of interesting piece of information for anybody who likes forensics, because this case was huge for forensic science. It put all of its willpower to the test. If you've ever heard of forensic files, Mm -hmm. this was the pilot episode for the show. Oh, wow. This case was. Wow. Yeah. So, just kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. So, it's a pretty popular, famous, well-known case.
0: Oh, yeah. This is for sure... I mean, like we said, Inspired a movie. scariest murders ever committed. Yeah. I mean, your body going through a wood chipper. I know I've said that a lot, but I just can't believe that that's yeah. a I mean, thought.
1: At least he didn't do it well like you're alive. That would oh, have been. my
0: gosh. Well, yeah, I don't even know if that could even be possible. When
1: you started talking about the wood chipper, I assumed like he just murdered her with that.
0: Put her through. Yeah. Heck no. That would Thank have gosh. Been Ugh. Yeah. But still not good. Yeah. No. So, oh, yeah, that is the wood chipper murder.
1: Good Halloween episode. Good was, Halloween episode. Crazy.
0: I know. I was, when I found it, I was scared. So <laughs> yeah. hopefully you all are too. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we hope you liked it. We hope you're excited for Halloween. Yeah. We hope you have a safe holiday eating all of the best candy. <laughs> What's your favorite candy, Dylan? <sighs>
1: You put me on the spot. I know. I don't know.
0: Do I have to tell you what your favorite candy is?
1: Yeah, I guess you could. What is it?
0: You told me Reese's the other day.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Peanut butter cups, not the pieces. Mm. Yeah.
0: Is it Reese's or Reese's?
1: Reese's. I mean, I call it Reese's.
0: I think I call it Reese's and that bothers people.
1: Uh, I don't don't know. (laughs) What's yours?
0: Oh, probably those Reese's Halloween pumpkins have really been hitting the spot this season yeah definitely up there and skittles
1: Skittles is always good starburst is always good too yeah roasting a starburst over the fire again
0: never heard of this if anybody has heard of roasting a starburst please let me know
1: yes it's good yeah go follow on all of our social media and let us know what your favorite candy is. Yes,
0: please let us know because we're not...
1: And if you roast a starburst over the fire.
0: Yeah, maybe we should do that. We have a fire pit now in our backyard. Yes, we do. I've never done this, so maybe that could be a fun Halloween activity.
1: Yes. I well...
0: Really- Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed and are not starving for candy now after we just named everything. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much again. Go follow at True Time Podcasts. Let us know your favorite Halloween candy, what your plans are, any ideas. And we'll talk to you next week.
1: Goodbye, everyone.
0: Bye.